I want to tell you a story about something that changed my life forever. Happened October the 8th, 1977. It was a beautiful fall day, and my dad had gotten up early, and it's one of those days when he had to do all the, the honeydew list, which included raking leaves and mowing grass. It was that time of the year. He got up early and did all of his chores because there was a very special ball game coming on. It was the University of Alabama Crimson Tide and the University of Southern California. I think Alabama was ranked number eight that year, and USC was ranked number one. They had the Heisman Trophy winner, Charles White. Alabama had guys like Tony Nathan and Jeff Rutledge and Major Ogilvy and guys that we all looked up to. They were our heroes as little boys. I was 11 years old. Daddy got everything done that day, and as happened on every Saturday and Sunday in the fall, the guys in my neighborhood showed up, and it was time for what we called the NFL, the Neighborhood Football League, and I'm sure guys all over the country had their own Neighborhood Football League. And so it was time for us to have a game. But it was also time for Alabama and USC to come on. And my guys gathered at the little yard across the street, the lot across the street from my house that where we played our games, and we had some rules, and so on this particular day, only four of us showed up, and so we were, as little boys, debating on how we were going to have our regular Saturday game, and one of the guys suggested that we get an all-time quarterback. That was one of our rules, that you could have an all-time quarterback, so basically that meant that one guy could be the quarterback for both teams, and that way both teams could have two receivers, and that way you could do picks and crosses and knock the stew out of each other. <laughs> it was just a lot more fun that way. But we didn't have anybody to play all-time quarterback. So one of my buddies made a suggestion. He said, hey, Scott, why don't you get your dad? He's a good quarterback, and he's played with us before. So we'd like for him to come out and be our all-time quarterback. And I said, no, guys, you know, he got up early this morning. He's already raked the leaves. He's mowed the grass. Alabama and USC's coming home. My dad can't wait to see it. And he's excited about the game. And I, I, don't, I really don't think we need to bother him. Hey, yeah, yeah, go get him. He'll do it. He'll do it. So peer pressure was exerted on me. And, and so I went in to do what I really didn't want to do. And I, I walked into the to the living room, and I remember walking in. Daddy was sitting in his green Lazy Boy recliner. He had his feet propped up, and he had a, a big bowl of Orville Redenbacher popcorn. That was just for special occasions. Big glass of iced tea. And I walked in the living room, and... Right at the minute I went in, and I said, "Daddy, I, I know you don't. I, I know you don't want to do this. You don't have to do this." But the guys, I told him I would at least ask you if you would be the all-time quarterback. The game is just fixing to come on, and Daddy did something that day that I'll never forget as long as I live. He reached over and grabbed the handle of that old lazy boy, and he 
plopped the foot rest down. He set his popcorn and his iced tea down. And he got up and he walked out of the house with me and through the yard and across the street over to that empty lot. And Daddy was our all-time quarterback. That day my dad um, didn't just step onto the empty lot across the street from my house. That day my dad stepped into a, a, a platform and I remember that day specifically as being the day that my dad um, became one of my heroes, my biggest hero. So, funny thing happened. He was the all-time quarterback, and, of course, I was the rushing guy. And so, Daddy was an old man. He was in his 30s. And so, I thought, surely I can catch the old man. I was 11 years old, and so I counted the Mississippi five times as fast as I could count. And I rushed him. And he shot a move on me, and it was bad. And it was in front of my friends. <laughs> and the old man juked me out of my drawers. And he got around me. And, by the way, we didn't play tag. That was against the rules to play tag. You had to play tackle. So there was a barbed wire fence on one sideline. There was a paved road on the other. There were three oak trees for a touchdown, and there was a telephone pole on the other end for a touchdown. And Daddy took off running down the field after he juked me off and I get up and I'm chasing him, but he's running down along the barbed wire fence. And I remember thinking, man, I really want to catch him. This is embarrassing. But at the same time, I was thinking, wow, that's my dad. That's my dad. He's out here when he could be watching the best game of the year, the biggest game of the year. He chose to come out and spent some time with his son, and he's scoring a touchdown. And as I chased him down the field, I didn't want to catch him. But in my mind, I was saying, that's my dad. That's my dad. And really, all the things that I've done with my life since that, since I got old enough to do something, uh, I've really gone back to that moment. I've devoted my life to try to help kids to have moments like that where they had someone who loved them enough to give up something important. So that's the origins of the That's My Dad project that we're now working on. So we thought it would be appropriate that for the very first interview, we bring in the guy who really is at the heart of it all, and that is my dad who's here in studio with us. So, welcome to the to the studio, Daddy. Well, thanks, Scott. I appreciate that story too. There's there's only one thing about it: you couldn't have caught me if you'd wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're pretty fast. Yeah, you know. I don't know how that happened because I was I wasn't particularly slow, but I do remember at church a couple of times when we have those recreation nights and and uh, we raced a couple of times. Yeah, but I think when I was 15, I caught up with you. Yeah, that's when I quit racing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you were you were pretty fast, old man, at thirty five. <laughs> but um, I've told that story uh, hundreds and hundreds of times, and you've heard. I think I've told it in an audience where you were at when I would do speaking engagements at churches and civic groups and so forth. And every time I told it, and it, literally hundreds of times. There'd be some poor guy in the audience who would break down and cry, <laughs> and some of them I think were crying because they 
they remembered things about their dad and things that had happened, and, and it reminded me that dad's stories are very important. And sometimes it would be because guys didn't didn't have that experience. So one of the things we're going to do here on this podcast is just tell that's my dad's stories. So okay. that's the original, that's my dad's story. I don't know if I've told you that, but in front of God and the Internet and everybody, I want to tell you thank you. Thank you, Scott. Um, I appreciate that. I, I am, you know, what I am. Yeah. Because of you. That's ugly. And uh, I don't mean to be emotional. It's probably not a good way to start, but <clears throat> but uh, I do appreciate you. Thank you. So do you do you remember that day by any chance? Uh, part of it. Uh, I I don't remember the fact that I got up from watching Bear Bryant. That was a real challenge. <laughs> uh, that was like man heaven. Yeah. <laughs> But but I do remember playing football with you guys, and it was a lot of fun. But I I enjoyed sh- showing them that a left-handed old man could could still get out there and, and have some fun. And it was that's what it was all about having fun. It was about fun. We we had so much fun, and you know the podcast and the the channel was as I've said last week was it's eighty five percent inspiration and fifteen percent instruction. So. I think stories are are inspirational. Yeah. I think, uh, in fact, I was looking at the, the Greek word for stories. That, and if you translate literally, it means to know. Uh-huh. It means to know. And some someone has said that God created humans because He likes stories. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think stories are important, and they build a bond. And you and I have we can sit around and tell the same old stories over <laughs> and over, and we have. Um, I, I wrote in my book about teaching your your son to have integrity and you did something one day that i've just never forgotten a lot of things you did i've never forgotten but i had gotten hurt at football practice and i must have been 16 or so 15 or 16 and coach college and say he needs to go to the hospital so um you came and picked me up from practice and we were headed to the hospital And I guess we were both a little excited because my wrist was messed up. And you went through a school zone doing 30 or 40, I guess. So the the policeman lit you up and and was going to pull you over. And somehow or another, you ended up pulling into the shell station right there by the school. And the policeman lost you. He got mixed up in traffic. I, I still don't know what happened, but you pulled over into the shell station and just sat there. And as a 15-year-old kid, I thought, we just lost the cops. <laughs> this is going to be a great story for my friends. Um, all we had to do was go up the street a little bit and take a left and go down another street. He would have never gotten back to find us. But you did something that day that stuck in my mind I want to ask you if you remember it or what you were thinking, but you stopped at that gas station and just sat there. Mm-hmm. And and I believe I said, Daddy, we we can we lost him. We can get we can get by. And you said, No. No. And you just sat there. You didn't give me an explanation. You didn't make a lesson out of it. And the guy came back and gave you a ticket. 
that spoke so much to me because it was just a matter of integrity, and I'm sure the ticket was twenty five dollars at the time. Yeah. But it was it was one of those things where we as dads have to teach our kids integrity. Yeah. And it's the little things we do that teach Well let me them. let me just jump in there there for a minute. You're you're talking about me as as your dad. Uh my hero as a as a child was my dad. And the, and the truth was I knew that I could never live up to his reputation. He had a reputation of being honest. I never in my life heard my daddy say one curse word. I don't think there's many people that mm. can say that. No. And he he had such a reputation in our church. He very seldom spoke, but when he did, everybody listened. So part of what you're saying about me stopping with a waiting on the cop, it come from the idea that Hey, if I leave here, I'm disappointing my dad mm. because my dad believed in integrity and, and being honest always. And I guess when you invest in your kids, they they naturally want to please you. Yeah, and that's you know that's one thing I would say to young dads out there: your kids want nothing more than to please you and to to make you proud. Yeah, so. Uh, you know, in everything you do, you you got to remember that. Um, but when you invest in those kids, it I call it having a little change in your pocket. You can always cash that in, but they they'll want to do everything that they can do to please you and to make you happy and to bring honor to you. And I I've, I've experienced that with you and and my granddaddy, your dad was absolutely that way. I he had a phrase, and Granny, and I remember when when you would leave. They would. What was it they would say? I know when you leave the house, they'd say, "Remember who you belong to." Right. Always. They always, always said that. I always wondered, what are they talking about? Part of it was living up to that reputation, and I, I was just saying. But then, as I got older, I realized that, that when I became a Christian, God became my father. Yeah. And I always had to remember that I belonged to Him. And so all my actions had to be pleasing not only to my earthly father, but to my heavenly father. Yeah. You don't want to do anything to embarrass your daddy. Never. No, nobody. Never. There's, you know, I had a, there's a young man that I still work with, and you, you know who he is. And he, he accomplished something last week, and he looked at me and he said, Mr. Scott, are you proud of me? <laughs> and this guy's 30 years old. Yeah. He said, Mr. Scott, are you proud of me? I said, I'm absolutely proud of you. He said, is your daddy going to be proud of me? Is your sister going to be proud of me? Kids, they want their parents to be proud of them. Right. The footnote to the, to the speeding ticket story is that many, many, many years, I guess 30 years later, you were appointed to the school board. Uh-huh. And you ended up being the, the chairman of the local school board. And y'all ended up uh, closing that school. Or yeah, you did. You closed. Is that very school? Y'all ended yeah. up closing. And during your tenure there, built a twenty-three million dollar facility, I think. Right. And you were the guy that was entrusted to oversee that. So I think it's a great story of of um, 
you know, doing the little things right, and God, God gives you more responsibility and more as you go. Right. As you go, so I've I've never forgotten uh, that you did something that was rather unique. You were, you, you know, a role model in the community and a Christian leader, pastor of a church. And back in those days, we had revival services. You know, I had to, you had to, was it a fall and a spring? Mm-hmm. It's kind of a tradition yeah. that was expected. So you planned the fall revival services and brought a preacher in and a song leader. And, you know, it was kind of done that way then. And, um, you always tried to have them on Monday through Thursday night during uh, the fall uh-huh. because I was playing football on Friday night right. for high school. And, and it turned out that, uh, the game got rescheduled for some reason. I don't remember, but any of that, we ended up having a game on Thursday night. And you told me that uh, you just weren't going to be able to make it to the game. You were the preacher. You had to be at the, at church. <laughs> and so I understood that. That wasn't a big deal, you know. But you, you never missed a game. Mm-mm. Did you realize that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I played for 11 years, three sports. Uh-huh. You never missed a game. No. That's that's pretty incredible. I when I was the director of Eagle Rock Boys Ranch, I went to hundreds and hundreds of ball games. I remembered as I was going to all those games, many of which were very boring, uh-huh. many of which my kids weren't playing, but I remember what it felt like to see you in the stands and I knew that these kids wanted to see somebody in the stands. And I, I drove all over this state, going to ball games. To, and oftentimes the kids didn't didn't even get to play. But every time after the game, they would want to know what I thought. Right. And that was all because you were always at all my games. <laughs> and I remember. But this one particular incident um, that the you were at the revival service on Thursday Thursday night, and the game was on Thursday night. And so I was kind of braced myself. I, you know, I told you that was fine. It was I wasn't going to be upset. But when I would come off the field at halftime, I would always look. And y'all said about fifty or forty yard line, about halfway up. I always knew exactly where you sat, and you sat with my buddies, friends, and and I I looked up in the stands expecting not to see you and Mama. Yeah. And y'all were there. Yeah. <laughs> and it's amazing to me that. Of all my great memories of high school football and just wonderful friendships that I made, and that one moment uh-huh. is sealed in my my mind. But I thought when I saw you, I thought, "Oh no, he's a Baptist preacher. They fired him. <laughs> you know, we're going to have to move. We don't have a church anymore." And um, so. When I went on to play the game, and after the game, I said, "Daddy, how did how'd y'all get here?" He said, "I took care of it. You, you, you didn't really go into detail, but I did find out later uh-huh. that you had instructed the song leader that he was to only sing the first and last stanza, <laughs> and that the invitation was only to be one stanza. If somebody <laughs> needed to get saved, they better do it on, on the, the first, first hymn, <laughs> yeah, because." <laughs> Because you were going to head to my ball game, and you cut the service. You cut the revival service short. Do you yeah. remember that? Oh yeah, yeah. What were you thinking? I love to watch you play. Uh, like I say, you were real quick, and and uh, you usually beat the guys in front of you. 
and never knew when you was going to make an outstanding play. I mean, defensive guards don't intercept passes, but you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you know, there's a certain thing about being a proud dad. You've got the sign there, that's, that's my dad. Mm-hmm. Well, I never wore the sign, but sitting around your those people, I always want to say, that's my boy. Yeah. That's my boy. Proud of you. Yeah. What what do you think it takes to be a great dad? Uh, number one is love. Uh, we need to love our children with all of our heart. Uh, the other one is, is to live that example before them. Uh, I don't know if, if you remember, uh, if I, I told you, you... You are never to say, I've got to do this because I'm a preacher's kid. Right. You've got to do that because you're my kid. And there's a big difference. So the fact that we live before our children. And and so I promise God, when he gave you to us, that I'd give you back to him. And I promise God that... I would always do my best to just be the example so that you would never be embarrassed mm-hmm. by your dad. When we opened the ranch, uh, there were so many people who stepped in to help us because they know you yeah, and they know your integrity. Um, I know of one, one person in particular is an organization that, they ended up giving us well over a quarter million dollars. That was all based on, I never even met the people. The whole thing was based on the fact that they knew you were a man of integrity and this guy told this guy and this guy told this guy. And it ended up, you know, way off in another state that your reputation proceeded and and that affected me. So, Daddy, let me just thank you for being here. It's been an honor and really a privilege for me to get to do this. I appreciate you, and you know that. Thank you, Scott. So this is the That's My Dad podcast, where we're here to break cycles of generational fatherlessness and help you go on to become a great dad. Until next week, see you.